The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Uh, let's take our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter number 17, book of 1 Kings chapter 17. We're finishing a series of messages that we... Oh, thank you, boys and girls. Time for Kidsville, soon to be Kids City. We're prepping for it. I tell you, the men were working hard this week uh, preparing that far west room. They used to have a platform in there, not anymore. That's gone. Uh, some of the artwork is starting to go up on the walls. Of course, the inside play space is uh, all set up and going. And uh, I'm just excited about what God has for us in the future for our children's ministry. And at the same time, they've been working on the new youth auditorium. And uh, so uh, progress is being made there. There's uh, some uh, decorations going on. I've got a couple uh, screens that'll be going into that room as well. I think 50-inch televisions that'll hang on both sides. And boy, these teenagers, we're going to spoil them. And uh, just be a great, uh, great uh, place for them to be as well. I'm glad you're here. And for those that uh, have come over from uh, the Christian Church of Simi Valley, It is a a blessing. It's a privilege to have you. Uh, Thank you so much for joining with us in worship to our God today. Well, if you're able, let's stand together as we read just a few verses from 1 Kings chapter number 17 in reverence to God's Word. I'm going to read just the first few verses. Very familiar story dealing with the prophet of God, Elijah. And the scripture says, And Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And God, as we open up your word today, as we have gathered for no other purpose than to bring you honor and bring you glory, I ask today that you through your spirit, would take your word and minister to each and every heart. God, we just thank you for the reality of, uh, Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ that can meet together in this room. And God, I pray that you would just allow us, uh, Lord, to uh, come to enjoy each other in you, uh, love each other, um, encourage each other, as we seek to be what you need for us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. The prophet Elijah is one of those great characters of the Old Testament that really prepared in a little different way than what we've looked at over the last few weeks. We're we're talking about spiritual preparation and those in Scripture that were allowed by God to prepare for some future uh, event. We've looked at the character of Noah and how he prepared by building an ark. Uh, We've looked at different Bible characters uh, as we have progressed through the Scripture. And we're going to end this series with this character of Elijah uh, because he prepared for something to happen in his nation that only God could do. Now, I don't know how you feel about how things are going in our nation today, but let me tell you, uh, we need God. We desperately need God. And sometimes we feel like, what can I do? What can one person do, really, to change anything? 
Uh, some of us have our own issues that are going on in our own families, and, and we're, we're, we're asking, God, can you, can you change what's going on in my or in marriage? Or, God, can you change what's going on at the workplace? Or, God, I've got a neighbor, and I'm really struggling here uh, with uh, trying to uh, share the love of Christ, but he's not making it easy. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, difficulties that we have just living in the world that we're living. And sometimes we wonder, is it possible to see real change in these situations? And I'm here this morning to just cause us to focus on Elijah the prophet because Elijah really became God's change agent in not just seeing himself brought closer to God or a a widow and her son brought closer to God, but literally an entire nation uh, brought to God. And so in whatever situation you are this morning, I want you just to take this story and lay it on your life and your situation and say, God, can you change what needs to be changed? And uh, I believe as we look at the text here this morning, we're going to get the help that God wants us to receive. So as we get a backdrop to the story, would you go back from 1 Kings 17, just back a couple chapters, chapter number 15, and let me give you the historical background so that we have a context for where we are this morning. Uh, We understand that God's plan was to rule the nation of Israel. And yet there was a time in the life of the uh, people of God where they said, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. And Samuel was a prophet at that time, and Samuel uh, tried to allow them to recognize that, no, that, that's not the way to go. We're just not going to do things because all the other nations are doing it that way. And uh, yet uh, God told Samuel, just let them have their way. Uh, They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Now let me tell you something, it's a frightening thing when God lets us have our way. It really is. And all that we ought to just say, God, would you keep me in your way? And would you keep me here following close behind you? Well, the nation of Israel, they got their king. It was Saul. And Saul ruled for 40 years. And then we know right behind Saul was David. And he ruled for 40 years. And then Solomon came along and he ruled for 40 years. So for the first 120 years of the history of uh, uh, Israel as uh, this nation that had kings of men, uh, we see that there was a dividing of those 12 tribes. And many of us, as we've studied the scripture, we understand that all of a sudden, as we get to the kings, it's a little bit confusing. You've got the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, and and what's the difference between the two? Well, the, the king of Judah actually ruled over only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And uh, that is uh, the southern kingdom. The northern ten tribes uh, really were ruled by, by pretty wicked kings as you go through. And you're going to find that always listed as the kings of Israel. So we're dealing with a prophet over the kings of Israel. And uh, the reality is, boy, as you go through these chapters, it just seemed to be like one after another, uh, worse and worse and worse. 
So the scripture tells us here that uh, from uh, Solomon, uh, we see the rebellion of Jeroboam versus Solomon's son Rehoboam. Jeroboam, now he's ruling and reigning these ten tribes to the north. Uh, And then we have a sad succession of kings that are getting worse and worse and worse. Chapter 15, verse 25, tells us here, the son of Jeroboam, Nadab. Verse 26, what did he do? He did evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. We can go on here to Baasa in verse 33 of chapter 15. What's God's commentary on his rule? Verse 34. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, the next king, Elah, uh, he drunk, uh, was drinking himself drunk in the house of God, and, and uh, he was assassinated. He only ruled a year. Uh, Zimri, uh, the assassin, he ruled for seven days and uh, literally burned down the house around himself. That's verse number 18 of chapter 16. And then we have this king by the name of Amri in verse 25. And I just want you to notice how God describes this king. The scripture says in chapter 16, verse 25, But Amri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. So you get the picture? It's a pretty wicked day. It seems like from the top on down, you've got wickedness ruling. Uh, the people, they're living lives of wickedness because the leaders are living lives of wickedness. And the Word of God allows us now to see that as Amri is displaced, we now have his son Ahab that is taking the throne. He goes ahead and marries a gal that we would know as Jezebel. And here's God's commentary on Uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Look at verse 33 of this chapter. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. All right, now that's pretty astounding. So setting the table for Elijah coming out of obscurity, he's just coming out of nowhere. It's just one prophet, and yet it would seem as the prophet comes on the stage that it's a hopeless situation. I mean, how is one prophet going to be able to grip the hearts of the people of God to turn back to the Lord? How are we going to see that kind of a change? And what kind of preparation did Elijah make in his own life uh, to facilitate that change in the lives of others? If you have your insert, it's in your bulletin to follow along with some notes. Number one this morning, let's go to his courage to stand. First Kings chapter number 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, the Ahab that did more wickedly than all the kings before him, the prophet of God that has taken God's side is now coming face to face with King Ahab and he's addressing him and we see his courage to stand. How do we start as a people? How are we as a people going to be able to see God really do a deep work 
in our own families or in our marriages. It's going to take some holy courage for us to stand for that which God stands for and stand against what God is standing against. I, I'm under no illusion that the world we're living in today is a pretty wicked place. Uh, once in a while I have to counsel folks that would come from outside the church and, and they're coming to the end of their rope and they don't know what else to do. They've tried everything. Had an opportunity this week to speak to a man in that situation. And uh, they, they don't know why their life is spinning out of control. They don't know why their relationships are always breaking up. They don't understand really how to have any victory uh, because they don't know Jesus Christ. And so as a pastor, I just have to start at square one and say, listen, if you would like to know what it is to have abundant life in Jesus Christ, you've got to recognize that you need Jesus in your life, and he alone can change your heart. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ, when he takes residence in our life, is able to transform us by his power. He's able to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And again, the world doesn't understand that, and the world is grasping for straws, and they're trying this, and they're trying that, and they want some happiness, and they want some joy. And what they find at the end of the day is an emptiness. And we wonder, how can I impact somebody like that? Well, there is a way. Number one, we need some courageous believers, first of all, to stand where God stands. He's standing for God. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Now, physically, he was standing before Ahab, but spiritually, he says, I stand before God. And and young people, if you're going to see victory in your life in a college setting or in a a high school setting, junior high setting, can I tell you, you're not going to do that in your strength, in your charisma, in, 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 in your personality. That's only done through the power of God flowing in and through you as a testimony for Christ. And he can change the heart of people using your witness and your testimony. But you've got to have the courage to stand where God stands. And maybe that's a good place to start. See, sometimes we want to stand where the world stands. And we think somehow if I stand where they stand, that they'll like me, accept me, and then I'll be able to make an impact on their life. No, Elijah here was very clear who he stood before. Elijah said, I'm standing before God. And in his mind's eye, he understood that it was God that he was accountable to and that he was going to stand on the right side. So the courage to stand was a a courage to stand for God, but it was also a courage to suffer with the people of God. Now, many of us would know 2 Chronicles 7.14. It starts this way. If but people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's how that verse starts. Have you ever read the verse before? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. 
This is at the dedication of Solomon. Uh, we see there in Second Chronicles the reality that uh, the glory of God came down on the, uh, the temple that was built, what we know as uh, Solomon's temple. And the prayer of Solomon that day simply went like this in uh, this, uh, chapter 7, verse number 13. The Lord appears, in verse 12, to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Do you see what, what God was saying to Solomon? He was saying, listen, there's a way back. Boy, if I have to judge this nation, if I have to shut up heaven so it doesn't rain, if I have to send the locust or pestilence, there is a way back. It's if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face. I want us all to know that there's always a way back if God uh, ceases to send the rain. When God sends the locusts into your life or the pestilence into your life, can I tell you something? There's a way back. And uh, Elijah here recognized that spiritually the only way to turn a people around is first of all to God, for God to make it uncomfortable for them. You know, sometimes when God makes life very uncomfortable, it's because he loves us so much. He's just trying to get us to do an about-face. He puts us in a situation that we're, oh, and the courage that Elijah had was a courage to suffer with his own people because he knew what he was asking for. He was asking for an economic collapse. It's an agricultural day and age, and, and what he's praying for is he's saying, praying, God, would you just bring here uh, a calamity upon your own people by not allowing it to rain? James chapter tells us that it was three and a half years that heaven was shut up. And courage to suffer with the, with the people of God. Courage here to say, all right, God, shut up heaven. Who's that going to impact? It'll impact Elijah too. And, and what we've got to realize here that he had courage to stand and courage to suffer and courage to surrender his heart to the will of God. And God simply said, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you, and I just want you to follow simply my instructions. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Number one, his courage. Number two, his communion with God. Now, this is a fascinating passage of scripture because all of a sudden he's presented himself before Ahab the king. He's declared that God's going to shut up heaven and it's not going to rain. And then he listened for God's leadership as God led him to a specific place. And the Bible in verse 3 tells us that he was to hide himself at the brook Cherith. And what happened there at Cherith is God just spending some alone time with Elijah. You say, 
Pastor, how in the world am I going to be used by God to see any kind of change in my family, in my neighborhood, at my workplace, at school, in our country? How can that take place? Here's how it can take place. We begin with our own time with God. And as much as I want to see everything else change around me, there's first got to be a heart to say, God, change my life. Change my heart. Bring me close to you. Maybe someone here this morning that's struggling here in your marriage. And, and you know exactly what your spouse needs to do to fix it, right? You, you've got, you, you know what they need to change. Can I tell you something? It's not they that need changing. It's you. We begin with ourself. We say, God, what do you need from me? And this brook, Cherith, became a very precious place for Elijah because there he could commune with his God. See, God's priority that he would just go follow the direction of God. God made some promises. He said, I'm going to feed you if you'll just go there. God promised to protect him, hide thyself. And then God promised a provision where the scripture tells us here in verse 4, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I, that I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, that's wonderful. You know, when you start to just allow God to be God in your personal life and you start communing with him and in his word on a day-by-day basis, God's going to begin to help you with your spiritual need so that you can be a help to others in their time of need. And so we see a, a, a stand, a courageous stand, his courage to stand. We see, number two, his communion with God you know, something about Cherith, it's, it's interesting. It was a hidden place. It was a specific place. It was a lonely place. But the word Cherith itself means cutting place. Now, I want you to understand this. In order for God to bear fruit in our life, according to John chapter 15, what does he have to do? He has to do the purging. He has to do the, the pruning And when the pruning takes place, then God's able to bear much fruit in our life. And Cherith was the cutting place. If you would go to Strong's Concordance this afternoon and look up the word Cherith, that's what you're going to find, cutting place. It's the place where God ministered to Elijah all by himself. And can I tell you something? Although it's wonderful as God's people to get together and enjoy fellowship and worship our God, Uh, it's very important that each of us have a daily time that we're getting alone with our God and letting Him minister to us. His courage to stand. His communion with God. Number three, His concern for God's Word. His concern for God's Word. You want to be a change agent in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace? then your concern ought to be God's Word. What does it say? God's Word. How can I live that out in a practical way before those that do not know the Lord? God's Word directing through His Spirit. And so three different times the Word of the Lord came in chapter 17 and chapter 18. Follow verse 2. The Word of the Lord came unto him saying, that's get 
to Cherith. Notice verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. And then chapter 18 verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go show thyself. You say, what's the key to seeing real change around me? First, let God do that change in you. You find your cherith. You find your lonely place. You find your cutting place where you're just honest with God. You get alone with God. And you let God speak to your heart. And let me tell you, when you come out of cherith, God's ready to use you to help someone else in Zarephath or on Mount Carmel. He's ready to use you. But we need that cherith time in order for it to become a reality in any of our lives. So the word of the Lord, that ought to be our concern. What's God say? What does the word of God say? Our church will be celebrating a fifth year anniversary coming up in September. And from the very beginning, we have had really one textbook, and it's been the word of God. It's all we're interested in. Don't, not interested in the word of man. We, we just want to hear, thus saith the Lord. What, what does God's word have to say? And as we give ourselves to the word of God and we have an ear that's tuned to the word of God, God can speak to us through his word. His Holy Spirit can instruct us. And, and God can thrust us out of our cherith to start having an impact in other people's lives, preparing us to make a difference in others. That's what the story of Elijah is all about. Preparing Elijah to make a difference in other people's lives. His courage, number one. His communion with God, number two. His concern for God's word, number three. Number four, his complete obedience to the word of God. His complete obedience. Go back to verse number 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying. Get thee hence. So what does the Bible say? Verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. I'm sorry. Let me, let me read on. Uh, verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And now in verse number 5, So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. You know, the Christian life can be summed up in trust and obey. Just, just get an ear for the word of God. Get into God's word. Let God speak to you on a day-by-day basis. And then just do what God says to do. And all of a sudden there's going to be an internal change in your own life as a Christian. You're going to be brought nearer to God. And as you are brought nearer to God, God's going to be able to take you and place you in your circle. And he'll use you. In ways that you could never have imagined. But my friend this morning. God's waiting for you at Cherith. He wants that time with you. And as we receive God's truth. 
and have the heart to completely obey God's truth, then God can begin to do what only God can do. Notice, please, verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, that word is go to Zarephath. So what does verse 10 say? So he arose and went to Zarephath. Here's one of the most exciting, thrilling thoughts concerning Elijah's life is he had a childlike, simple obedience to God. And by the way, although the text doesn't say it, I don't think Elijah woke up one day and said, you know, I'm going to go find King Ahab and you know, just tell him what's about to happen. I, I, although the scripture starts with chapter 17, verse 1, you know, he was directed by God to that divine appointment. And that from that spot, God led him to Cherith. And from Cherith, God led him to Zarephath. And there, after that time, ministering to the widow and her son, God led them onto Carmel. And in, and in each case, it's, it's a broadening of the influence. First, it's just me and God. And now it's me, God, and just this widow. Just her boy. But I'm going to minister to them. Listen, all of our families need moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas that will minister spiritually to this young generation that God's entrusted to our care. Our own children, our own grandchildren. And this is what Elijah took serious at Zarephath. And there as he ministered, he just completely obeyed God. When it was time... Again, chapter number 18, verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah the third year, saying, Go, arise thyself, or show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Well, he arose. He has a confrontation there with Obadiah in the passage, and then he confronts Ahab. He says to Obadiah, Tell your master... I want, I want to have a meeting with him on Carmel, Mount Carmel. And, and we see that God begins to do a real work in the lives of people whose hearts are, at this point, far away from God. There might be a, a mom here this morning, and, and, and you've lost hope. You're, you're thinking, how in the world can God grip the heart of my boy? Or can God grip the heart of my girl? They seem to be so apathetic to the, to the to things of God. They seem to be so hardened. They seem to have no interest whatsoever in God's truth and God's word. And I don't know if I'm, I'm making a difference in their life. I'm here to, this morning to tell you that we all could be making that kind of a difference, but we have to follow uh, the precepts that are laid down here. First of all, do you have just courage to stand with God? To have the courage to stand and say, listen, the only way I'm going to have true impact is I've got to stand where God wants me to stand. That's where the change takes place. Are you willing to commune with your God at your own cherith this morning? Is that, is that a desire in your heart? Are you concerned with God's word personally? Not, God, what do you have for my husband? Or, God, what do you have for my children? But how about, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want to teach me? How do you want to help me today? God, I'm a hungry, 
hungry Christian that needs you to speak through your word to my heart. And boy, when we come before God humbly and contrite, oh, God the Father is desiring to hear the prayer of his child as a child cries out for the help of God. And when you start looking at the word of God, not for others, but for you, then God can thrust you from your Cherith to your Zarephath, where he can begin to use you in the life of one, two, and then more for his glory. There's no greater thrill in all the world than for Christians to be used by their God to make a difference in other people's life for God's glory. And yet it's going to take some decisions on our part. A heart to change. Courage. Uh, a desire here to be concerned with God's word. More importantly, a desire to have a complete obedience to God's word. And, and I know you know this because these are very basic, elementary Bible principles, but you know, the promises of God are always attached to obedience to God's word. And, and whether you start in the Garden of Eden or go anywhere throughout Scripture, you're going to see that really it's not just the hearing of the word. What is it? It's the doing of the word of God. Listen, you can be a hearer and not a doer. You can be somewhere in God's house every Sunday of your life hearing the word of God. But you know, being a hearer of the word of God doesn't change anything or anybody. It's the person that says, I want to be a hearer and a doer of the word of God that will, through God's power and leadership, really cause us to be that change agent in someone else's life. And so it's that complete obedience to God. I'm going to stop right here, and I know you've got more notes, but I'm just going to end with this thought, and it's not even the next point, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out. Just a contented obedience. Not just a complete obedience, but let's add to that a contented obedience. Uh, I'm sure Elijah, and you think this through men, how difficult would it be for you to allow a widow to take care of you for several years? Especially a widow that was as poor as this woman was. I mean, she's just gathering a couple sticks so she could just make a little food and, and, and her son and her just die. I mean, she's destitute. And here the word of God to Elijah was, I want you to go to Zarephath. I've got a widow woman that's going to take care of you. Boy, how many of us as men go, no widow's going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself. See, that's us. That's that's. That's us. We're going we're gonna to do it. And yet God was trying to teach Elijah not only how to completely obey God's will, but also add to that a contentment in your obedience. There's no argument going on. There's no, you know, God, are, are, are you sure this is what you want me to do? I mean, how is a widow going to take care of me? None of that in the Scripture. There's a contentment. He realized that God's working, just like God provided the brook. And I didn't even mention it, but think about those ravens that came every evening, every morning. Isn't that the faithfulness of God? We sang about it this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And God provided those ravens, and God provided that brook, and then God started to dry up the brook, and God was preparing to move them. And their hearts were prepared 
And, and now there is this contentment in doing the will of God. Young people, it's not so much that you're disobeying mom or dad, it's the attitude behind your partial obedience. Take out the trash. Oh, I always have to take out the trash. You do it, you obey, but do you obey with a contented spirit and heart? Is your obedience here just because they told me to? Or do you realize that, you know what? My, my mom and dad have been such a blessing to me. Here I get to be a blessing to them one time a week for two minutes taking the trash out to the curb. It's not that big of a sacrifice. And, and if we could learn to be contented in obedience, can I tell you something? Uh, our lives will be transformed. And, and for all of us, when God challenges us in a way, let's just be content to know that God knows what he's doing. Trust God. Don't question him. A widow, yeah, that widow's going to become the means by which for the rest of this famine you're going to be taken care of. What a great God. But oh, that God would bring us to this place of a contented obedience. We can be used by God to see a difference in other people's lives. It begins with your time alone with God. And there, as we let God minister to us, that, and God can use us to minister to others. And yea, can I say it? Even turn a nation back to God. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.